It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter, at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's time for another edition of the 2020 Offseason Roundtable with a return guest who hasn't been around for a while because he's been shuffling around covering the NFL. Then he was on the Giants beat. He was covering the Jets a little bit here and there at the beginning of the season. So I thought he had a very interesting perspective because he was on the inside for part of the season, on the outside for part of the season, and now he's back on the inside because at least temporarily, while NJ.com looks for a replacement for Matt Stipikoski, who of course is a frequent guest of this program, he is back on the Jets beat, so I'm happy to have him back. First time in a couple months, Mr. Daryl Slater. Daryl, welcome back to the show, man. Good to be back, Scott. Good to be back. Yeah. So it's as you mentioned, I've just kind of been bouncing around, but uh, nice to talk to you again here as we uh, kind of catch our breaths here. A lot of off-season focus here in the New York area as uh, a couple teams who have no real local interest play down in Miami. Well, like I said at the beginning, the fact that you were on the inside for part of the season and on the outside for part of the season, I thought was really cool because you have a different look than anybody else. You have the people that were inside the whole season, the beat reporters and such, and then you have the people that were on the outside the whole season, the fans, and you had a little bit of both. So you could offer a mixture of both perspectives. I figure it's fun to talk about this while you're still technically on the Jets beat before they put you on your permanent beat covering the Newark Bears and Ricky Henderson. He's still in the New York beers, right? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. that's. A, I don't even think they're around anymore. Funny story. There's a guy I used to know, and his big thing was getting autographed balls. So he would go all over the place. He was a big Mets fan. He'd go to Mets games, get signings. In fact, one time David Wright stopped signing for him because he's like, didn't I sign for you yesterday? And he recognized me. He wouldn't sign for him anymore. But he would go to a New York Bears game because he wanted Ricky Henderson's autograph because that was one of the ones he didn't have in his collection. And he went up to Ricky Henderson, and Ricky Henderson looked at the ball, and he's like, Ricky don't sign MLB balls. Ricky only signs the balls here in the ballpark. So he had to go run to the pro shop, get one of the baseballs from the pro shop for the Newark Bears, (laughs) and then come back, and then Ricky signed it for him. So that's what I always remember about Ricky Henderson on the Newark Bears. But the Newark Bears may not exist anymore. The New York Jets do, although as far as the national media is concerned, they don't really have much of an existence to them because Jets haven't done anything noteworthy in quite a long time, unfortunately. It's a rough offseason again. The Jets coming off another losing season. They haven't had a winning record since 2015, and they haven't been to the playoffs since January of 2011. So it has been a really bad stretch for Jets fans and for the Jets in general. Daryl, let's start with a quick overview of the 2019 season. 
We know that they started off really poorly, one and seven. They finished the season seven and nine. We could sit here and debate what led to that, the good and the bad, and we will because we're going to talk about the coaching, the general manager, the quarterback, and everything. But what is your overall takeaway from the 2019 Jets? Well, I mean, it's what we kind of thought about, you know, last offseason, like when you said, oh, why? I mean, Mike, or Christopher Johnson firing Mike McCagney solely in the offseason, and then they're trying to spin it and paint it as, hey, we got the right guy eventually in Joe Douglas. But everyone looked at it and said, why would you fire your GM at that point after letting him make so many impactful moves? And lo and behold, you know, obviously one of those big impactful moves in Le'Veon Bell worked out disastrously for, you know, any number of reasons, uh, you know, whether Adam Gase didn't want him, wasn't using him correctly, whether Bell is, is done in terms of uh, having anything left in the tank, all of that. Um, and now they're stuck with this guy. And it, obviously CJ Mosley's situation is unfortunate for him because it was an injury thing. And so there's no telling, you know, how good he could have been. Um, and, and so really the off season was disastrous really i mean largely because of the bell situation they threw so much money at this guy and here it is yet another big contract for mike mccagney that has not worked out obviously you know he's gone so it's going to cost him his job um but this is a now becomes a a no margin for error offseason for joe douglas because we were talking about this uh before we got on the air uh about you know the jets don't have a ton of cap space. I mean, they have a, right now over the cap has them at $51 million in cap space, which is basically right in the middle of the league with just north of the middle of the league. So it's not like they can have an off season like they did last year where they can hand out two or three or two and a half, if you count Jamison and Crowder, I guess, two and a half type of big contracts. They're not going to be in that position, but they do have such enormous roster holes because of all of Mike, Mike McCagney's misses that Joe Douglas has been stuck with. Uh, but you, what you're doing is you, what they did is they really just delayed the progress and delayed, um, you know, the rebuild or you know, the Joe Douglas era another year because he was stuck with all these guys, especially Le'Veon Bell, really Le'Veon Bell, that uh, you know were brought in by a guy by the GM because they let the previous GM stick around for too long. So would Joe Douglas have targeted Le'Veon Bell? Maybe I don't know, but like that's that's what you saw was the ripple effects of the problem, and now. Uh, of, the, of the delayed decision, I should say, by Christopher Johnson. And it was such a bad move. I mean, obviously, Mike McKagan needed to go um, based on how the, his players, you know, the players he's drafted and signed have turned out, obviously. But they should have done it in December of last year. And the fact that Christopher Johnson needed to come and spend more time around the team in the offseason, I feel like I'm just repeating the things that we said like last year in May when they fired him. Uh, fired Mike McCagney. It's just, it just, it just shows. I think Christopher Johnson is a nice guy, who's, and I think I've said this before. He's just in over his head. I don't think he knows what he's doing in terms of. At least he didn't know what he was doing last December. So, I, I just he had to have more foresight than he had. Like you had to see the potential problems with doing things the way he did, and now you're seeing those problems come to fruition. So. That's really <laughs> where things went wrong. I think if you look at the the other potential positive the other flip side of things are the positive sam darnold finishing uh, you know pretty doing a pretty good job when they finish six and two right he plays a lot better in those final eight games uh i think i crunched the numbers early they went seven and six in his starts um and then obviously another strong finish to the year this one being you know a final eight game finish that was pretty good and his numbers are pretty good so uh, it would have been really fascinating to see if the mono situation had happened uh and i was just i think the last check game i covered was maybe the one in new england i forget but um early on in the season. 
So by the time he returned from mono and hit his stride, I was doing giant stuff, but certainly paying attention to what he was doing. And so that's a plus for him, but I think the jury is still out to a degree on him. Um, the problem is it's like now you're getting into year three of Sam Darnold and the d- multiple factors here are going to contribute to this team not being very good in what when a time when any reasonable team could you know would be getting better like the Eagles got better late in Carson Wentz's in the middle of his rookie contract when he was on an affordable deal when they could afford to get better they could put pieces around them but the Jets they're not they're not in a position to do that they have way too many holes on the offensive line they don't they're right in the middle of the league in cap space as I said they're saddled with the Le'Veon Bell situation which I mean. If you wanted a clean slate going into your your quarterback second year and you fired the GM, nobody could blame you. And and you let Joe Douglas get the process started earlier. Now he's behind the eight ball. He needs to have he needs to nail this offseason because Joe Douglas has to know they really only have like two years left of affordable contract for Sam Darnold, and they need to figure out you know going into year five probably what they're going to do with him and if if they're going to pay him. And if they are going to pay him, that hamstrings you going forward with the pieces you can put around them. So they kicked the can down the road with Mike McCagnon, and now it's coming back to bite them in multiple, multiple ways that are going to be felt for years to come. Do you think this is a situation where Jets fans will never truly be at ease as long as the Johnsons own this team? Because from what you're saying, and I think it's something that a lot of people would agree with, including myself, as long as the Johnsons are the ones making the decisions, you have to be on high alert because even though you hear good things about Joe Douglas, they've had such a bad track record of hiring people that you can never really trust anything that happens under them. Sure. Like, I mean, they, you know, to be fair, Woody Johnson, you know, I think maybe whether it was Locker, whether he, you know, just, you know, made the right hires for Locker or was listening to the right people or just simply made the right decision earlier on in his tenure. You know, he did some good things. I mean, they, you know, it's easy to forget, you know, that the Jets in the first, what, decade of Woody Johnson's ownership were, were actually pretty darn good at times. Obviously, they made a, they made a hire in Rex Ryan that worked, even though he wasn't a successful long-term NFL coach. I mean, you're talking about Woody buying the team in, in 2000 and, um, you know, 01 to make the playoffs, 02, 04, and 06, 09, and 10. So they had a nice little run there of making the playoffs, and Mike Tannenbaum did some good things. He, you know, he obviously drafted Mike Tannenbaum drafted what three guys, four guys who are going to be Ring of Honor guys to this team, right? If you say maybe David Harris, you could argue if he is or isn't, but you know David Harris, Revis, uh, Mangold, and Brick, Brick Ferguson. I mean, that, what, that's a pretty good run. They had a nice stretch there. So, um, but the recent decisions, I mean. <laughs> It's been a bad decade for the Johnsons. So um, the first decade, a little better. This is the last decade, uh, pretty pretty bad. So, I, of course, you know, people have every reason to, to mistrust what they're doing. And I think Christopher Johnson is a, a guy who means well and is reasonable enough to understand and acknowledge that people, you know, probably it's reasonable for them to, to distrust what they're doing. And he would acknowledge that they've made mistakes. Um, now, that's one thing to do that. The other thing is to be in tune enough to get it right. And I don't know if he is. Um, and the track record says that. And I think he would have to even own that uh, reality and that, or that perception at least that, um, that maybe he, maybe they don't know. I mean, I'm sure he's confident that he doesn't know what he's doing, that he, that he knows what he's doing, but, um, but yeah, fans have every right and every reason to distrust this ownership group based on, based on recent history. That's all you can go on. You, all you can go on is results and you look at the results, 
that have happened since since the playoffs. I mean, you you look at since they last made the playoffs. Obviously, the, the guys they hired to be their GMs, John Itzik and Mike McCagnan, failure, failure, um, and that's really where it starts with those guys doing an incredibly poor job of drafting and, and signing signing prominent free agents, and uh, and then you look at the coaching hires, and you know Todd Bowles didn't work out. They probably kept Rex Ryan around a little too long. And, uh, and now we'll see with Adam Gase, but, you know, a little bit, you know, at least a little bit of reason and, or maybe a lot in some people's minds to be skeptical in entering year two. So do you think that Adam Gase is going to wind up being one of those mistakes as well? I think he could be. Yeah, I think he could be, but I think what it comes down to is obviously it's a quarterback rigged league. The NFL is right. So if your quarterback is, you know, Sam Darnold plays healthy a whole year, let's see what he does in he gets a full year in Adam Gaze's offense, and he's healthy. Let's see what he does. I mean, maybe he misses a game with an ankle injury or something like that. But if he can play uh, a full stretch of games and not be debilitated by something like uh, mono, uh, let's see what he does. Because if that's why they brought it, they brought Gaze in here, because um, you know quarterback play obviously affects the results overall. Um, the problem is the Jets have a lot of other areas of need, namely offensive line, but. Um, no, I, I don't know. I really don't know about it. I mean, look, if, if one in seven, if things kept spiraling, um, you know, I think I'd look at it and say, yeah, you know, maybe, you know, he's a goner midway through, through 2020 and he could be, he could still well be. Um, but, uh, they finished strong. Granted, you know, I know a lot of people are going to look at it and say who they beat or whatever. And the <laughs> Bottom line is when your team is bad, you can't be you can't be nitpicky about wins. Take the wins, man. Take the wins. If you're six and two, take the wins. Don't be cynical about it. I get I get it. I get if you don't like Adam Gaze, but you know, as, as a fan, and I think even like Joe and Evan on WFN, like I maybe the 45 seconds I listened to them all year in an Uber on the way to the train station. Nothing against them personally, just not my not my thing to listen to that uh, stuff on a regular basis. But the 45 seconds I probably listened to them, they're, they're you know four and a half minutes more like it on the way to the train station here. Uh, was uh, they were you know I think even even Beningo was mentioning like he you know they want things to work out well for Gates they're skeptical but you know those guys are obviously Jet fans and so I think as you know I, even if you don't think Gates is can be Gates can be the guy I think you you want yourself to be wrong if that makes sense so um, I think fans have every reason to be skeptical and cynical about this team and about about this coach um, and about his ability to develop Sam Darnold and quite frankly. People have every reason to be skeptical about Darnold himself, about you know whether this guy actually has it, about how much uh, you know whether it's the foot injury or the rookie hiccups or the mono had to do with the struggles, or whether the struggles just stem from maybe he's not that good. And I'm I'm not saying he isn't good, but I'm just putting it out there that the jury's still out on this guy. So this is an enormous year for the franchise in so many ways because if they need to figure out is Darnold the guy going into year, you know, as year three progresses. Um, and they need to hope that he can stay healthy all year and they, they can get a definitive answer on that. So if Darnold's the guy or not the guy, that depends all day. You know, that, that'll tie into Gase's future and that'll tie into, you know, the next decision at quarterback and the next decision at coach. And here we go again with a cycle of hiring and firing and drafting a quarterback and all that stuff. And so, but who knows? Maybe Sam Darnold turns it on and makes Adam Gase look good. That's the thing. Like, like that, the, the, co- the quarterback's always going to make the coach look better, especially when the coach is an offensive-minded guy. So say Sam Donald has these like these skills that just click in year three, right? 
And maybe, maybe they have nothing to do with Gase, but he's going to get the credit for it, right or wrong, right? I mean, <laughs> I think, like, Patrick Mahomes, like, really good player. Um, do, do, do the Chiefs, does their coaching staff get too much credit for what he's done? Or, you know, it's always like, does the, the staff develop the quarterback or whatever? But, like, who's to say another staff wouldn't have been able to, to do the same thing? Maybe the guy just had it all along, you know? So I think that's the... I don't think Jets fans will care how the success comes about or who gets the credit for it, but I think that's how it'll go. Obviously that's how it always goes. The quarterback plays well, the coach gets the credit, especially if he's an offensive minded coach. So let's talk about that quarterback a little bit. What did you think of Sam Darnold's progress from year one to year two? Was it what you expected? Did it fall short? And do you think he can make an additional leap in year three? Yeah, I think he can, uh, you know, can he stay physically healthy? Um, Obviously, you have, you know, the mono situation, and that probably affected him more when he came back after a couple games, right? I mean, he he misses the games he missed, and he comes back, um, and I'm sure there was some residual effects for a game or two after that. Um, and and yes, he he played well down the stretch, and I get it. People are going to say, oh, they didn't beat anybody because they beat the Giants and Washington and Oakland and Miami, Pittsburgh, and and the Bills, and the Bills are resting their starters, so. Yeah, I, I I understand why there would be some skepticism, and there should be. There, quite frankly, should be. I mean, you look at the totality of his year. He had an eighty-four point three quarterback rating. His interception percentage was down from three three point six as a rookie to two point nine in his second year. But you know, he's still not one not one of the league's more productive quarterbacks. He did have a really strong finish to the year, um, and. In a in an eight game stretch, he, they go six and two against, albeit you know some struggling teams. Um, he puts together some good games, but let's see him do it over the long haul, and let's see him beat some quality opponents. So, um, I think that'll be the true test for Sam Darnold here. You know, there's no more excuses. Not that he was making any, right? I mean, if he stays healthy and he's in year three and he's in year two of the offense with Adam Gates, and he's got 26 starts under his belt, um, there's no more you know, asterisks or caveats. It's can he produce and can he produce against, against uh, non-terrible teams? And uh, I think he's got the potential that's there. I, I, I'm very much on the fence with him. Like I really am right there on that, on that fence of, of will he be, or won't he be the guy for this team? Um, and this is the tipping point year, year three. I, I really think so. And I, I know that there's, there's going to be things where, no situation is going to be perfect, right? I mean, so the offensive line is not going to be totally fixed this year, and that's yes, it's going to affect him. But it's up to him, and it's up to you know Adam Gase as a play caller to kind of get around some of those shortcomings and work with Darnold's strengths and play to his strengths. And um, I don't know what kind of year this is. He's one of the to me. He's one of the more fascinating quarterbacks in the league entering 2020. Not like you know fascinating in the sense of like. Drew Brees or Peyton Manning or you know I just think he's fascinating because you don't he can go either way right I think it's it'll be it'll be fascinating to see this is a guy who is at the point in his career where the arrow is pointing up slightly right and he's on this upward a little bit upward trajectory but he needs to make that next leap there's a slight steady progress needs to become um you know certainly more significant I mean look at his career numbers 36 touchdowns 28 picks and an 81-1 quarterback rating, and the Jets are 11-15 and 15 with him as a starter. So 
that's really not terrible, right? I mean, there's stuff there to work with. Those are not Geno Smith type numbers. He's not a lost cause. Um, and I don't mean that to sound like a backhanded compliment. I do, I do think there's stuff there to work with. I just don't, I just still don't know. Like, I think the jury's still out. And I mean, I, I think that's probably okay right now. I think if you feel that way after next year, then, then that means, then that's not okay. Right. I think you need to know by, uh, you know, next year, say he starts 16 games. That means he's won 42 games into his career. You, you got to know, you have to know, you have to know once he hits the 40 game mark, you got to know whether this guy has it. I mean, how much more patience can you give him? I mean, maybe he's just going to wind up being a so-so or a slightly above average quarterback. Um, and the Jets are probably not a team that's in position to win with that type of player. They're not going to win with Trent Dilfer type player from the Ravens. And, you know, when they beat the Giants and won the Super Bowl, it's not happening. They need Sam Darnold to be great. Like a lot of teams need the quarterback to be great. You know, Patrick, the Chiefs needed Patrick Mahomes to be great. The Seahawks, Russell Wilson. And so that's just the reality in today's NFL that the quarterback is generally going to be the one that takes you far. Obviously, uh, the 49ers have an amazing defense, and, and but Jimmy Garoppolo certainly deserves his share of credit for what, what they've been able to do here this year. So the, 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 Jets, the Jets need to have an answer. By, by this point next year, if they still feel unsure about Darnold, that's a terrible sign. Or if, or if we do, right? I mean, I, I think they probably are going to put on their optimism glasses on him at all points. But um, if, if there's a general feeling of uncertainty at this point next year about Darnold, that's off. That's an awful sign. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. What do you think needs to happen for Darnold to be able to make that next step? And do you think that Joe Douglas is capable of putting the pieces around him that he's going to need? Well, the turnovers is, is the big one, obviously. Um, you know, I mean, any quarterback going into year three. Um, I mean, you you look at down the stretch in those eight eight those final eight games. So he throws thirteen picks all year, right? I mean, and then down the stretch he throws four four in the final eight games. You can probably live with that, right? I mean, that's that's eight picks through the course of a year. I mean, that's that's good. That's pretty good, right? I mean, you could live with that. Um, so if he can take that and, in terms of limiting the turnovers and, and turn it into 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 a, a, a more big picture, you know, a fuller picture uh, level of production throughout the year, you know, that's what you need. So he went from having, what, four good games in the final stretch of 2018 to eight, in the final stretch of 2019. So was that mean 16 and 2020, you know what I mean? Like each year he's doubling the number of good games he has down the stretch. So uh, that's why I say it's, he's so fascinating, but there's so much, so uh, many other moving parts to this, right. As I alluded to, and we talked about going on the air, like before we got on the air here, it's like, what, what are they going to do with their offensive line? You know, I mean, just years and years of neglect on the offensive line and trying to do things like, uh, you know, I know Calvin Beecham played out of his contract and he was a good leader and he, you know, was all right enough. Um, but generally, you know, attacking the offensive line of free agency is not going to work. You need to draft to, 
to fill your needs on the offensive line. That's what Mike Tannenbaum did so well with Nick Mangold and the Brickershaw Ferguson. They were foundational players for AFC championship teams, uh, championship game teams. Uh, and they, they, he got them in the draft. And at 11, are they in position to, to get a elite offensive tackle? Maybe. I mean, I don't know enough about, you know, is Andrew Thomas going to fall that far? Who's going to be there? Um, so as you go across the board here, they probably need a new left tackle, right? I don't think it doesn't seem like Kelvin Beecham's back. What do they do at left guard? You know, obviously, Coleccio Assembly was a complete disaster of a signing. Uh, and Alex Lewis, maybe he's back there. What are they? And then again, center. I mean, my goodness, this team has not been able to do anything since they got rid of Nick Mangold. I mean, they get rid of Nick Mangold as part of that big purge and just look at just the absolute disasters in each of the next three seasons, 17, 18, and 19, uh, at, at center that they've had. Wesley Johnson, my goodness. Uh, and then, and then Spencer Long, and then they bring in Matt Khalil out of retirement. That fails, obviously. And uh, they they just uh, Ryan Khalil, I should say, um, and so they they don't have an, an answer there, and that's a critical position. And then at right tackle, Brandon Shell has not worked out. He, you know, he's a free agent. And then Brand, Brian Winters, you know, who's been productive, but can he stay healthy? That's the big one for me. I think they they have the ability to obviously to bring Winters back. I I just don't see any way they can have five new starters at the offensive line. Like they probably can. They're probably bringing Chuma Doga back. I mean, they're not going to get rid of him right now. Maybe he's the starter at right tackle. I don't know if they are in a position to be able to cut Winters because who else are they going to get? Right. I mean, are they going to be able to go out and sign a player at every position or draft a player and start fresh? Or maybe you just say, look, we we want to roll the dice with Winters. Hope he can stay healthy. Uh, and, and and have him be our returning piece at right guard and provide some leadership on the line because the I mean teams just don't overhaul the whole offensive line generally in an offseason but in an ideal world that's probably what the Jets would need to do that's how bad things are what do you think Joe Douglas's strategy is going to be in terms of free agency and the draft we know that there are external free agents he's going to want, but also internal free agents that he may have to work hard to try to keep if he wants to keep them. We'll talk about the external free agents specifically in a second, but first, let's talk internal free agents. Robbie Anderson, Brian Poole, Kelvin Beecham is one of them. You just brought him up and said that you think he's unlikely to return, but we'll flesh that out a little bit more. And Jordan Jenkins is another one. Those are the big names. There are a couple of others. You mentioned Alex Lewis. Who do you think the Jets are going to look to retain, and who do you think comes back ultimately? I mean, Anderson's the big one, obviously. I like Jordan Jenkins was never really able to fully put it together as an edge rusher. You know, a good run stopper, solid player, nice guy, but was never able to put it together. I don't think he's back. And Beecham, we mentioned, and um, you know, I think I, Poole quietly had a pretty nice year, and I think uh, he, you know the Jets had him for a bargain. That that was actually a, a quietly a very good signing. Mm-hmm. Um, because they were paying him nothing, and uh, and so he's a guy who's in position to get a little bit more this year, and I think you know, that could be one where certainly you you almost have to resign him because you know what he is, and he won't be that expensive, and they're going to have to start over at at cornerback at, at, in terms of their number one cornerback with Tremaine Johnson being such a Tremaine Johnson might be the worst free agent signing in the history of the Jets. I mean, <laughs> I mean that, 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 you could make the case. Like, it's just remarkable like how bad the guy was, how bad he was on the field, how, how – remember, he got suspended for the game in New England for showing up late, how much of just an absolute 
aloof dope he was, you know, at least in terms of the, how he projected himself publicly in dealing with reporters as if a guy who just does, did not care. Now, maybe he projected differently with his teammates, but my goodness, I mean, the, the, the way he behaved um, and just, you know, whatever, you know, type thing. And the, the guy committed highway robbery. And like, <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's just, it's almost admirable how someone could be so bad at their job and make so much money. It's It's just, I guess congratulations because he, he just <laughs> robbed the Jets. And uh, so with Poole, you almost have to bring him back because you can't retool the entire cornerback group, can you? And um, and b- b- the thing with Robbie Anderson is this. He's going to want to get paid like a number one receiver. Do the Jets think he's a number one receiver? That's that's what Joe Douglas has to determine. Um, but – the other the other issue here is you know what do they, what do they do if Robbie Anderson leaves? I mean he's obviously a valuable part of this offense, um, and so they need to do what they need to invest in weapons to put around Sam Darnold, especially again because like I said Sam Darnold's on a relatively affordable rookie contract, so this is when teams should be going for it when they have a quarterback who's promising entering year three or year four. This is when teams should be going for it in terms of re-signing a guy like Robbie Anderson. But the problem is the Jets have so many other holes. It's not like the Eagles, per se, with, with, with Carson Wentz, because they were a little bit more solid on both sides of the ball. And uh, and they went for it, and they got there with Carson Wentz, but uh, well, during his time, certainly, um, the rookie contract. But, um, yeah, the, the, the Jets are maybe not in a position to go for it, because they, they are they in a position to pay Robbie Anderson all that money that he wants with the amount of cap space with they, that they have and with the uh, number of holes they have elsewhere. That's, that's the issue. They have too many holes maybe to, um, to invest big time in two guys. They have to pick their, pick their priorities here. Um, it's not like they're going to be able to throw big money at Robbie Anderson and throw big money in an offensive tackle and go out and get in the lead edge rusher. It doesn't seem like they have the ability to do it unless they get super creative with, um, how they're doing things and or they start working, you know, or they start mortgaging the future with the trade. Yeah, those are the key in-house free agents that everybody has their eye on at the moment. There are going to be others on the margins and we'll see what happens with those guys. But as far as external free agents, there are a lot of big names, especially at the pass rusher position because the Jets typically have tried in the offseason to get pass rushers. We saw last year they went hard after Anthony Barr, thought they had him, ended up not working out, and they didn't get the big pass rusher that they wanted, at least on the edge. We know that they've started to rebuild their pass rush on the interior, but now they need that outside edge rusher to go along with it. And so you've got a lot of free agents this year. Bud Dupree in Pittsburgh is one of them. Dante Fowler Jr. with the Rams. Yannick Ngakwe with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Shaq Barrett down in Tampa Bay. Jadavian Clowney with the Seattle Seahawks. There are a lot of edge rushers available. What do you think? Are the Jets going to try and make a major investment in an edge rusher this offseason? If so, who would it be? And what are some of the other positions where you think there are certain players they may try to target? We know that offensive line is going to be a position that they look at. So maybe guys like Joe Thune, Jack Conklin, so on and so forth. Yeah, Jack Conklin's going to get paid a lot of money. I mean, and, and that's that's what the Jets need to figure out. Is, is he a guy who, as a right tackle, they're going to be willing to pay that kind of money, and they're going to have competitors, including the Giants, who are going to need a new right tackle. So um, edge rusher could certainly be an area that they, they, they attack, and there is a, a, lot, a, a decent pool of edge rushers, as you mentioned. So uh, they don't necessarily need to go after Clowney or, or Yannick Ngakwe if, if he's even if, you know available. Um, I think some of those other guys you mentioned could be could be reasonable options for a team that has, um, you know, 
an amount of cap space that needs to be kind of spread around um, in terms of lots of holes, not a ton of cap space. So um, I, I would I would not be surprised to see the Jets um, make a couple big signings there and then try to use the draft to further address the offensive line and then maybe address the secondary as well. Because remember, they do have that premium third round pick. I mean, and I say premium, it's a 68th overall pick that they were able to steal from the Giants in that ridiculous Leonard Williams trade. Um, so that they do have um, three picks inside the top 68 um, that they can use, and the four inside the inside the top 79 even. Um, so they have the ability to 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 use those picks to to address a bunch of areas. So I think probably uh, yeah, they're going to have to take a pick. I mean, do they want? They're not going to get top tier guy at edge rusher and offensive line. I mean, they they have to say, all right, we're going to take a lesser player at one of these spots just because of the, of the number of holes they have and the amount of cap space they have. So in terms of, in terms of the, the draft, the comp picks, they're not going to get any comp picks. So um, it's not like the giants who they, you know, they let Landon Collins walk and they say, Oh, okay, we'll, we'll take the comp pick. The jets didn't have that type of situation. So um, that's sort of where they're at. And then that's, that's where I think it was, it was smart for Joe Douglas to get that third round pick. I mean, absolutely remarkable. He was able to get that third round pick um, from from the Giants, and um, you remember too. I mean, they they're going to have another pick in that trade, uh, depending on what happens with Leonard Williams. But that'll be um, that'll be down the road, right? In 2021, that pick. So either fourth round or fifth round. So that one worked out well. That one certainly worked out well for the Jets. And they, now comes the question: the hard and the harder part is, can they turn it into a productive pick? Can they turn that into a productive player? Because that was that was so often the issue with Mike McCagney and John Itzik. They just they just couldn't draft guys who were who were foundational type guys like like all these guys we mentioned with Mike Tannenbaum earlier on in the in the in the millennium, not even in the decade. <laughs> um, at this point, uh, of of guys, he was able to turn into foundational players. A lot of people think that the Jets draft strategy should more or less be to just pick offensive players at the top of the draft. So with their first five picks, as you said, one in the first, one in the second, two in the third, and one in the fourth, many believe that it's time to just completely overhaul the offense, ignore the defense. They did pretty well under Greg Williams, and so there's no need to make major investments. Is that what you think the Jets should do? In in terms of just addressing offense up high, yeah. I think that's that's reasonable because I mean, look, you want to give Sam Darnold as much help as he possibly can in the, in his rookie contract uh, in his affordable period of his rookie contract. Yes. You know, Greg Williams did a pretty good job. So I think credit there. And uh, you know, what is he going to do if he lets Jordan Jenkins, if they let Jordan Jenkins walk, that becomes a little bit of the whole uh, question mark. If there was a hole at outside linebacker and um, maybe you don't need a, a defense full of, you know, two or three elite guys to make it work. And then you've got to remember too, CJ Mosley presumably will be healthy next season. So that'll help a lot. Um, and you, so with him, you have what Mosley and Jamal Adams, two really, really good players back there. Um, who maybe you can, maybe you can make it work. Maybe you make it work over the long haul. Um, while just really addressing, uh, you know, uh, the offense in the, in, in the draft and those first four picks. But, um, I think at 11, you almost have to take an offensive tackle, right? I mean, just because again, like I get Jack Conklin and all that, like, but like, there, there's a reason that teams let offensive tackles leave in free agency. I mean, either the guys are old, hurt, or the team doesn't think the guy has it. Like, how often do you see that pan out? I mean, Nate Solder and the Patriots, the Giants, you know, gave him all that money, and it, it was just a complete disaster. So, 
usually the best way to attack that position is in the draft. And um, the, the Jets have to figure out, is there going to be a guy there at 11 who they can get? I mean, you've seen names like Jedrick Wills, a kid from Alabama. And, uh, I think Mekhi Becton was another one I've seen up there, a guy from Louisville. And then, of course, Andrew Thomas from Georgia, um, as names kind of bandied about in the top 10. Now, will those guys be available at 11? Because you're looking at some other teams that may or may not you know, be looking to just draft enough to tackle, including the Giants at four. So um, that's something that Joe Douglas will need to look at. And everyone talks about it like, yeah, he's, I don't, I guess it's just funny because like Joe Douglas knows that Joe Douglas knows how to, that they need to attack the offensive line because he used to play offensive line. Okay. Well, well, Scott Mason knows that the Jets needed to attack the offensive line. And <laughs> he knows that they have to attack the offensive line because, yeah, he played offensive line. He knows. I mean, what are you talking about? Mr. Magoo knows they need to attack the offensive line. I mean, come on. Like, of course, okay. Like, yeah. I mean, I guess I get it. Like, he knows maybe how they have to attack the offensive line. He knows what it takes to be a good – I mean, let, let's be honest here. I mean, the guy's job uh, – Joe Douglas' job as a talent evaluator and his performance is because he's a good talent evaluator. Not because he played offensive line at Richmond, you know, like in the nineties or whatever, like that probably has nothing to do with it. Like he has an eye for talent, maybe on the offensive line and other spots, just because he has an eye for talent, not because he was any, anything great as an offensive player, offensive lineman. I mean, I'm sure he was, he was, a, he was a fine one double a player, but I'm just, I'm, you know, just, it's, I just find it funny that like, he's this offensive guru because he was a former lineman. And I'm sure I've written it too. It's just like, it's just such a silly cliche to say that, but, but certainly, I mean, you don't, you know, you don't need to tell him twice that, um, that it's important that the Jets fix their offensive line, regardless of what his past history is, I mean, what he did with the Ravens or what position he played in college. Like anyone can see, they have to address their offensive line. Now, now it becomes, go get someone who's not Eric Flowers. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, please get somebody who's not Eric Flowers. That should be on a bumper sticker somewhere, and it should be on the car of every single NFL decision maker. Go get somebody that isn't Eric Flowers. (laughs) (laughs) I think we just coined a new one here on Play Like a Jet. This is why I miss having Daryl on, because there are so many marketable moments that people missed out on. Daryl Slater from NJ.com, who's now back covering the Jets, at least temporarily. He's been covering the Jets, then covering the NFL, then covering the Giants, then covering the Jets. He's basically the jack-of-all-trades over at NJ.com. I hope they appreciate you the way that they should. They probably don't, because I know how the newspaper business works, but they really should appreciate the effort (laughs) that you put in, (laughs) Daryl. No no comment. No comment. Uh, But, yeah, I'll be doing – it'll be some Jets stuff and then some – some NFL wide stuff. So, you know, we had a little something up there today about, I guess Sam Darnold said Sunday, he wants to finish his career with the jets. When he was asked, do you want to finish your career with the jets? Yes. I want to finish my career with the jets. Of course he's <laughs> going to say that, but a little bit of an analysis up there. Like, will he, you know, I think that's a fascinating conversation that we kind of addressed a little bit here. You know, jury's still out on this guy. Um, so as Eli Manning finishes up um, and he takes his victory lap, you know, will, will Sam Darnold be that type of guy? I, I think it's too early to say, but it's an interesting one. You know, um, of course he's going to say he wants to, but yeah, I'll be doing a little, you know, jet stuff and some NFL wide stuff as well. And, and some giants stuff, uh, too. So it'll be, uh, it'll be an interesting off season. And then, uh, it all gets kicking into gear later in, uh, later in February with the combine. 
It sure does. Make sure you're reading all of Daryl's work because he's going to have a ton of material, as he said, not just the Jets, but also some Giants, some league-wide stuff. So go over to NJ.com and check him out. Follow him on Twitter, at Daryl Slater, D-A-R-R-Y-L-S-L-A-T-E-R. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.